If there's anybody you don't want to make jealous in this world, don't want to make God jealous. And yet, the children of Israel were guilty of this. Be careful with God. You don't want to mess with God. We're in Exodus chapter 20 this morning. Exodus chapter 20. Last week we looked at the first commandments in Exodus chapter 20. We looked at the first commandment. Today is the second commandment. And in Tifton, Georgia. Anybody know where Tifton, Georgia is? Uh, I don't either. <laughs> I just, uh, I know it's somewhere down in the States. But in Tifton, Georgia, Georgia is actually known for its, its, uh, its, its bats. I was trying to think of an adjective before that, but uh, it's gross bats, I guess. If you were to go down to Georgia, they have these little, they call them bat houses that they put up all over the place. Here you might have little bird houses, you know, that we think are cute and we paint and we hope the birdies come and land on them and maybe eat from them. Well, there in Georgia, they have bat houses where they hope to catch them <laughs> and to not have them around. It's a bad thing. It's a bad problem they have. Well, this is a specific house. This was back in 2011. This specific house, it was an abandoned Victorian house filled with thousands of bats. Tift County declared the once elegant house in the town's historic district off limits after a bat specialist said that maybe 20,000 bats had moved in, apparently for good. And we have a picture of this wonderful house. It doesn't look too bad from the outside. Uh, and I do not have a picture for you on the inside because nobody dare go closer. Now, teenagers would call it the Bat House. Uh, not quite like Batman, but the Bat House. Yes, Titus said, the Batman. Not this kind of, that's not a good Batman here. People would talk about the smell, which is an unholy mix of animal urine and decaying wood. In the summer... Oh, does this place reek, said Linda Turner, 69, a retired nurse and neighbor. You ain't smelled nothing until you come back here on a hot day, she said. I was going to attempt a southern accent, but uh, I wanted you guys to come back next week. So I won't attempt that for you. It's a bad smell. It's a bad place to even be around. Yet, I didn't show you the other picture, but there's other pictures of visitors that would flock, flock around. People would come around just to see this so-called bat house. And you could apparently hear the screeches and you could smell and you could see through the windows this bat-infested house. Now, I don't know about you, but I have no desire to visit the bat house. If it was a bat cave with fake bats and uh, props of Batman, maybe, I might see that. But real bats, real creatures, 20,000 of them, Crammed in a house, that's not for me. That's not for me. What a sight, what a smell that would be. And it's interesting in parts of Georgia and other parts of the world, vacant houses like that often get infiltrated with bats or with other creatures. Take uh, vac vacated houses around here that have been left empty for years and years and years. They probably smell. Animals, no doubt, have gotten in. It's not something if you, if you were to buy a house that hadn't been used or lived in for 20 years, not even touched. Chances are you won't just buy it and just move in the next day. There's got to be stuff to clean out. It's not going to be a pleasant sight. 
vacant houses get infiltrated all the time, and it also happens to us, our house, our temple, as the Bible would call it. If a person doesn't fill their life with good, if our life is, if we live our life, because within us is a, a war of good and bad, and oftentimes when we empty ourselves of that which is good, something has to fill it, and oftentimes it's evil. It always needs to be filled with something. And when we start to live our lives for ourselves and for, well, anything but God, then that is what's going to fill our life. But if we learn, as the Bible says, to be filled with the Spirit, to rid ourselves of that which is unpleasant or unholy to God, we get rid of things that displease God, and we fill our life with Christ, now we could actually do something for Him. So my question to you as we begin is, what's going on in your house? That is the house of your body, your temple. What's going on inside of you? That fleshly body that you have right now. Who has moved in? Who has taken over residence and taken over control of your body? Sometimes we as Christians, we can... We could give our lives to God and ask him to come into our life and save us. And at that moment, he dwells within us. But over a period of time, we start allowing bats, so to speak, of the world to infiltrate our life. And you don't allow 20,000 to jump in your life all at once. But a bat here and a bat there and a bat here and a bat there. And well, before you know it, our life is nowhere near where it should be for God. When was the last time you looked within inside of you and asked yourself, who's really controlling my life today? The children of Israel struggled with this. Oftentimes they found themselves allowing everything except Jehovah God to live within them. If you ever read, read the, the Judges, the book of Judges, or the Kings and the Chronicles, this is an up and down battle that the Israelites faced. And it really started with their leader. Their leader would, the Bible would say, I mean, almost a verse after their name was mentioned. You know, and King so-and-so lived for uh, this amount of time. And then the very next verse will either say, and he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, or it'll say, and he did that which was not right in the sight of the Lord. Because as the king goes, so does its people, as we find. And so many times a leader would rise up and he would specifically worship a false god, worship Baal, or worship another god. And guess what? The people would follow their leader right behind. That's another challenge for us as parents to make sure that we are living our lives for God so that our kids will do the same. But the children of Israel would struggle with this uh, so much so that it was in one of the first commandments, the first commandment that God gave the children of Israel And last week we learned that the first commandment is about who we should worship. We should worship God. That's the first commandment, right? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. So that was who we should worship. But today's commandment, commandment number two, is more on how we should worship that God. On how we should worship. We looked here in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 4. And the Bible said, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. 
So as we begin today, I'd like us to open in a word of prayer. And as I pray, I want to challenge you to ask God to search your hearts and to see who's controlling your life today. Perhaps some, some bats have snuck in that you may not even have been aware of. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you so much for your word. And God, I'm grateful that we can talk to you all throughout the day. And Lord, we, des- we desperately need you. I pray for those watching at home, those here in church, that we would search our hearts and find out who's really in control of our life this morning. Bless our service. Now we pray in your name. Amen. First thing I want us to understand here is the definition of this second commandment. And I know it sounds pretty straightforward, and really it is straightforward. But let's understand this second commandment here. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. We see here that this commandment, it's forbidding the making of any image for the purpose of worship. It's pretty self-explanatory. This includes even the creating of images of Jehovah God. So look at this verse 4. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything. You dig deeper into this, you find that God didn't even want us to build a statue even if we meant it for the purpose of worshiping Jehovah God. God didn't want anything to receive the prayer when it should be directly related to Christ, to to God. God did not want even that. Now, let me look at, let me help you explain this a little bit more. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40. And I want to look at something here in Isaiah chapter 40. This same thing is talked about here. Isaiah brings this up. Israel apparently was struggling with this as well, not only because what they would do is they were influenced. I mean, where did Israel come from right before the Ten Commandments? Where where, where did they escape from? What country? Anybody remember? I guess you can whisper it, right? (laughs) Egypt, right. So Egypt. They just came from Egypt. Egypt was filled with all kinds of gods. And the hundreds of years that Israel was in bondage with them, I'm sure they kept adding more about gods, the Egyptians would. And the Israelites almost became accustomed to seeing the bowing and the worshiping to these statues. Now, some Israelites still believed in the one true God, Jehovah God, but they started to take some of the practices of the heathen and bring it upon into the worshiping of God. They would still in their hearts be worshiping, or at least, at least so they would say they'd be worshiping God, but they would create an image to, to, to pray to in act of God. And God didn't want that either. God didn't want anything filtered through. He wanted direct praise and glory, not even an image of himself. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 18, the Bible says, To whom then will ye liken God? Or what likeness will ye compare unto him? The workman melteth a graven image, and the goldsmith spreadeth it over with gold, and casteth silver chains. He that is so impoverished that he hath no oblation chooseth a tree that will not rot. He seeketh unto him a cunning workman to prepare a graven image that shall not be moved. Have ye not known? Have ye not heard? 
Hath it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth, and the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers, that stretcheth out the heavens as a curtain, and spreadeth them out as a tent to dwell in, that bringeth the pieces to nothing. He maketh the judges of the earth as vanity. Yea, they shall not be planted. Yea, they shall not be sown. Yea, their stock shall not take root in the earth. And he shall also bow upon them, and they shall wither, and the whirlwind shall take them away as stubble. To whom then will ye liken me? Or shall I be equal? Saith the Holy One. And there's more to be read here, but he's comparing himself to, uh, to the worshiping of idols. And apparently, there were idols being created. And God says, How can you who can you liken me unto? What image would I look like? God doesn't even want us to worship something. He wants to get all the praise and honor and glory, and he deserves it. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image, any likeness of anything. Heaven above, earth beneath, waters under the earth. It is called the, the changing of the truth of God into a lie. To worship an idol instead of just putting the idol aside and looking up to the heavens and praying unto him. It's something that we must be careful with. This, instant, this insinuates to us that God has a body wherein he is as Habakkuk says, he is an infinite spirit. Though I believe in the Trinity, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit in God, we must be careful how we worship even God. God has a way in which it's to be done. It also forbids us to make images of God uh, as if he were a man or as we are. What God is trying to say in Isaiah is, who are you going to compare me to? Who are you going to make me like? Be careful even how we worship God. Our religious worship must be governed by the power of faith, not by the power of our imagination. Jesus Christ, God himself, must get the direct praise and glory. We must not make such images or pictures as others would do, lest they should also be tempted to worship them. Let's not allow anybody to accidentally put their faith and worship in a created object. Let's just give it directly to God himself. So Israel was taking on the practices of the heathen and doing this as well. But we also know that um, they were also directly worshiping a false god. That was also a problem that the Israelites had. They were, not, they were bowing down. They were showing respect. They were showing honor to a false deity. And if God prohibits even the making of an image of himself how much more so the image of something that's not even real, something that would take the place and actually receive the worship in his place. Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse 16, Moses talks about this in Deuteronomy 32, 16. They provoked him to jealousy with strange gods, with abominations, provoked they him to anger. Uh, we're at Deuteronomy 32, verse 17. They sacrificed unto devils, not to God, to gods whom they knew not, to new gods that came newly up, 
whom your fathers feared not. Of the rock that begat thee, thou art unmindful, and hast forgotten God that formed thee. And when the Lord saw it, he abhorred them because of the provoking of his sons and of his daughters. And he said, I will hide my face from them. I will see what their end shall be, for they are a very forward generation, children in whom is no faith. God was not pleased with Israel when they, of course, would worship something other than himself. They would create something from wood. They would create something from gold, from images, from material that God created. They would take God's creation and worship the creation over the creator. God was not pleased with this. It's interesting with the clarity of this command given to them, the Hebrews still found themselves in direct violation of this very command on numerous occasions. Now, last week we talked a little bit about some false idols that the Israelites would have struggled with, some false gods, some false deities. The Egyptians had numerous gods. We're not going to go through them, but some of their more famous ones was Ra, the hidden one, Mut, the mother of goddess. I'm probably not going to pronounce this right, but they're false gods. I don't really care anyway. Osiris, the king of the living, Anubis, the divine embalmer. I guess there's another Ra, god of the sun and radiance, Horus, god of vengeance. I guess every feeling you have, there was a god for it, I suppose. Outside of Egypt, there's the Canaanites, the Ashtoreth, the goddess of war and fertility. And we looked at these last week, so I'll just name them. Baal, a Canaanite a goddess. Uh, Shemosh, the chief god of Moab. Dagon worship, was worshipped in Babylon. And Molech, the chief deity of Ammon. There's so many other gods in different cultures and different, uh, different peoples that would create these gods and they would worship them. Some involved human sacrifice, some, were, some just evil. And for some reason, the children of Israel found themselves falling into these. King Solomon himself, the wisest man on earth, found himself at the end of his life worshiping these false idols, which is an incredible story in itself. A man who wholeheartedly gave himself to God, well, his hundreds and hundreds, his thousand wives, the gods that they had were the ones that pulled him away. We know what idol worship is, and it does still take place today. Many religions today still actually have physical idols that they would bow to. It's not quite as prevalent here in the, West, in the Western side, the Western civilization, though the religions have made it this way. But if I could, there also are some other idols that we find ourselves committing today. And not physical, tangible idols that you may bow to for, for, uh, for Thanksgiving of your day, but other idols that have gotten in the way of our worship of God. Now, the, the definition of worship uh, is an extravagant respect or admiration for or devotion to an object of esteem. Also could include something such as a deity or one with supernatural powers. Just a definition from the dictionary here. So extravagant respect or admiration or devotion to an object of esteem. Basically, God did not want anything at all to take his place. He is to be the entirety of our devotion and worship. 
So what objects or what things in our life might we place higher than our Savior? What are some idols in our life that we face with here in 2021? I think one of the biggest idols that people struggle with today is money. Money. How do we know if money has become an idol in our lives? Sometimes the following may sound familiar to us. Perhaps our kids come to us and they, they want to do something with their life. Maybe they want to serve the Lord or they want to go to this career path, but our answer to them is no, because there's no money in that. The, the work that we choose, or we, we choose work, or we don't try to avoid at least, during church days because sometimes we need money. I had friends growing up all the time that would choose to work on Sundays, work on Wednesdays, because they needed the money. And they would have, make up a good reason in their minds, oh, I'm just forced to work here and forced to work there. And they would do nothing to try to avoid it. Money sometimes has become an idol in our lives. We tell ourselves that we need money, but oftentimes it's just a lack of faith. Sometimes it's situations we've placed ourselves in, so much financial stress that now we've got to find money from somewhere. And instead of turning to God for the answers, we take we take it into our own hands and we, we work. Workaholics sometimes. We work so hard, parents don't see their kids as often. And I understand circumstances happen. Sometimes things get in the way. I'm not saying it's always a bad thing. But sometimes it is avoidable. Our life is revolved around money and we can't really, we can't do anything without it. You know, money is a necessity for life. We, we need it to buy food and we need it to, to do the normal things in life. Of course, we need it. But money, if we're not careful can become an idol in our life, something that we look to for answers. Ah, oh, I'm not happy. I need more money. Now, you don't maybe say that that way, but that's the characteristics that we take place, that, that takes place. Or, man, I, if, if we can just get there, I just need some more money, and then we can do this, and more money, and then we can do that, and then we can uh, get that house, and we can get this car. And sometimes we, our life revolves around its we may not even realize it, but it could be a, a bat that flies into our life. Maybe small. You may not even realize it's taking over. But just be careful because we know the love of money is the root of all evil. Another idol that may sneak into our life, and this wouldn't be the case for everybody, but some people really want power. They say power is addictive. Once you have a position, you want a higher position. And we see this happen in politics and people will do anything they, they can just to get a little bit higher of a position. Power might be another one. Here's another one, an idol in our life. Ourself. Ourself. We may place ourself above God. We may look to ourself for answers. We may look to ourself to get through each day. And I hope today that believers would not be found doing this, but even as a Christian, we could find ourselves relying on ourselves to get through our problems, to get through our day. We tend to be a self-obsessed people. Self-empowerment, you know, these things that are going around today. Throughout the day, we tend to filter everything through the lens of how it affects me. And in social settings, my focus usually lands squarely on ourselves. And we as Christians know that we exist to glorify God. We, we understand this. But sometimes we slip into this self-elevation mode. We, 
Our culture might convince us that this is beneficial. This is what culture says. If you don't look out for yourself, then who is? Who's going to? But our world doesn't know who Christ is. Because that's what Christ is for, to look out for us. Because Christ does look out for us, to meet our needs if we rely on him. We belong to an all-knowing, all-loving, all-powerful Savior who gave us everything so that we might live in him. And in return, he asks us that we willingly give ourselves back to him. And if we put our faith and trust in Jesus, he will see us through. Through surrender, we break free from the idols of self. And in doing so, we find the freedom to be all that God created us to be. Men and women of purpose designed to glorify our creator, God. Be careful of the idol of self. Oh, I'm struggling with this. I need to do more. I need to do better. Oftentimes, we go to ourselves for the answers first instead of the creator. Be careful. Some people put their health as a higher priority. As long as I'm healthy, as long as I'm this, as long as I'm that. And I could go on and on this list. Be careful for of be careful of these idols that tend to creep into our lives, these bats that fly in to our lives and one at a time here and there. You may not fully, you know, give yourself over to money, but there are times in your life where that's our cushion. We feel safe and secure because we have a few extra dollars hidden away in a, in a savings account. That's my security. That's, that's what's going to make me feel comfortable in life. Making sure I have enough saved up so that I can retire that's what, that's, that's what I feel comfortable in. That's what I'm putting my faith in, is my savings account. Don't trust in that. Don't trust in your savings. Doesn't that money belong to God? Wasn't it God that gave you that job in the first place that allowed you to save? You should be putting your faith in God. You should be worshiping and honoring Him. Just, just throwing out some ideas for us to try to search our hearts and see if there's any of these bats that have flown into our life. Now, why should we obey this commandment? Now, as Christians, we know the answer to this, but in case we didn't, the Bible tells us why. Exodus chapter 20, look at verse 4. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything, in case you were wondering if it, was, if it meant anything, heaven above, earth beneath, water under the earth. Verse 5, thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them, here it is. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God. I am a jealous God. Why should we serve him? Why should we obey this commandment? First of all, because he gets jealous. <laughs> because God gets jealous. Just as a man ha has reason to be jealous of his wife, especially if he takes her and sees uh, in an act of adultery, a man has every right to be jealous, has every right to ensue punishments, a violation of the marriage bed. It would cause any man to, be, to have fierce jealousy. And oftentimes, this same thing is related to us in James chapter 4, verse 4. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship of this world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. God takes worshiping of him very, very seriously. To the same extent that a man might be jealous of his wife. And thus the great Jehovah God, the God of Israel, the head, is represented in order to deter from idolatry. He gives us this illustration. He's jealous. 
I began to look up this word jealous. And there's different variations of it in the Hebrew. But this specific word jealous, kana, is how I pronounce it, is mentioned five times in the Old Testament. And every time it's mentioned, the word, this word jealous, every time it's mentioned is exactly in context with idolatry. With worshiping, not God, but worshiping another God. So that seems to be the only thing, the one thing that gets God jealous is when we worship his creation over the creator. When people get jealous, they tend to do things. You know, you never want to get somebody jealous. When you're a kid, you try to do things to get your siblings jealous. You, you, uh, you get the bigger ice cream scoop and <laughs> mine's bigger than yours. You want them to be jealous. You want them to like yours better. It's something within us. I do it to Titus. You know, it's not a very good example. But we need to be careful. If you make the wrong person jealous, they may react in a way you weren't prepared for. You, uh, I, you, you, you react the wrong way. Haha, my ice cream's bigger than yours. And that kid can look down and say, okay, and just take your ice cream. <laughs> you got to be careful. If there's anybody you don't want to make jealous in this world, don't want to make God jealous. And yet, the children of Israel were guilty of this. Be careful with God. You don't want to mess with God. Why should we obey this commandment? Verse, four, verse 5. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God. But look at this. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. He says in verse 5 that he will visit the iniquity. He will come down and see your sins. Modern movies and TV shows often depict this, this kind of scenario, where there's a, a parent and child, and they're interacting with each other, and the parent is trying to be a parent to the child, but the child is rebelling. And maybe during a, a modern TV show or movie, you'll see them arguing. And maybe it's a young teen. What do they do in the middle of the argument? They get up, they stamp off to their room, and they slam the door. Oof. Every time that happens and my dad's watching it, he goes, <laughs> I dare you. Anyway, that's my dad. So we would go up, and now what happens next is the father would go up, or the mother would go up, and he'd knock on the door. Honey, let's talk this over. No answer. And then you hear the knock again. Honey, open the door. I'm your mother. I'm your father. Open the door. No answer. They knock more forcefully a third time. And I hear this classic phrase all the time in modern shows, don't make me come in there. Don't make me come in there. Hearing that from on a movie, it's just, it's nothing. But imagine now you're where you are <laughs> in your sin, and God looks down from heaven at you and says, don't make me come down there. Don't make me come down and visit the iniquity. Verse 5. He will visit the iniquity of the fathers upon the children. God's saying, you better straighten up. Don't make me come down there. My dad worked graveyards at nights. He would go to work at, from 12 to about 7 in the morning. So there was a span from about 10 p.m. to 12 a.m. 
where he would take a nap. That was like his power nap, his two-hour nap before he'd, you know, go to work for the day, for the morning, I guess. And my mom, my parents would let me and my friends sleep over at each other's house. You know, there's only like a, a few friends that we were allowed to do this with. Normally, I would go over and sleep over at their house because my house was boring. Because by 10 o'clock, we had to be quiet, completely quiet. We couldn't be rowdy. We couldn't have fun. Because if you woke dad up, my dad up, <laughs> the part, the sleepover was over. It was just sleep. <laughs> That's it. So we usually go, but occasionally they come over to my house. And I mean, I, I think every time, every time they come over, somewhere between 10.30 and 11 o'clock, one of us would be too loud. And you'd hear the footsteps. It sounded like a dinosaur when you're a kid. <laughs> pounding down the steps, and you, everybody knew my dad's footsteps. The neighbors did. They feared and awed and trembled when they heard the footsteps of my father coming out of his room. And uh, playtime was over. Like, and every time that happened, my friends would wish they hadn't come over. Man, we should have went over to my house. We get in trouble, we all got to go to bed. And when my dad would come, the one thing I did not want my dad to do was wake up and, and, and visit us in our sin as he would announce it. We don't want to be on the wrong side of God. When God visits your sin, it's not going to be as funny as a, a watching a TV show. Learn to worship the Lord because it is right, but learn to worship God because you love him. If our love is in the right place, then the worship of God will just come natural. The Bible says in verse 5, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. It mentions here the third and fourth generation, possibly because parents would live to see their children and their children's children. And a parent still a parent that is still living in their sin, God would afflict their, their judgment and it would affect those possibly still alive for that parent to see. Those that did not repent, did not give, God would, in, in a sense, come down, punish them, and it would affect those in his to the third and fourth generation. We see this happening oftentimes when uh, sometimes sin would take place, even in the kings. A, sin, a king would, would rule, he'd have his kids and his grandkids, and God would punish, and it would affect his generation. God promised he would. We must be careful. But I love verse 6. And showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me. And keep my commandments. Why should we worship God? <laughs> because God will show mercy and love to those that keep his commandments. As the first commandment requires an inward worship of God. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. It's an inward worship. Love, desire, joy, hope, admiration. This second commandment here requires an outward worship of prayer, of praise, solemn attendance on God's word to those who, first of all, truly love God and those that truly love God and make it a constant care and endeavor to keep his commandments, specifically those that relate to worship, God will, the Bible says, he will show mercy. And that mercy is something we don't deserve. We may think we live an okay life, a decent life, but in reality, we don't deserve anything that God has and will give to us. And not only will he give us mercy, but that mercy in verse 6 extends 
to those that love him and keep his commandments. Interesting, when we sin without getting it confessed, if we sin and live in that sin, it affects us and the generation, specifically this, this idol worship, this worshiping of, of another God. If we openly worship something other than the creation, it affects us and our children. But if we show mercy, the Bible says it doesn't just affect you and your children, but it affects thousands. His mercy through us can affect the world. If enough of us show, if enough, if enough of us in this world will give our lives, accept the mercy of God and give our adoration and praise unto him, it, it, it's, it's radiant, it, it affects more. His mercy is so much greater than the punishments, is what he's trying to say here. Is my mercy, though my punishment is, is, is tough at times, but if you will love me and keep my commandments, my mercy will far, far outshine the punishments. If you just keep my commandments. Consider the bat house once more. When the bat house was left empty with unpleasant creatures, our vessel left empty and void of the worship of God will only be filled with unholy things. We can be saved, we can be a Christian, and yet not worship God like we should. Even coming to church isn't enough worship in itself. We could even come to church for the wrong reasons. But worshiping God is something that we do individually. Parents, you can't worship God for your children. I'm sure you know that. Children, you can't worship God for your parents. You can't worship God for your... You can only worship God for yourself. Just as we wish that parents, we wish that we could believe on Christ and, and place our faith on our children, but we can't do that. We can teach them the right way. We can train them, but one day that child is going to have to make a decision for themselves. Will I turn to God or will I live for myself? Will I accept Christ as my Savior, or will I go my own way and find my own way? So I'm, at, I'm speaking to individuals here this morning. How is your worship of God? Maybe you're not worshiping false gods. Maybe you don't struggle with money and with all these other things in life. But how is your worship of God? When was the last time you truly worshiped Him? By yourself, for yourself. Coming to church is a form of worship, but that this is for worshiping with others. But when was the last time you by yourself, all alone, worshiped God? And how often does it happen? How much does he deserve it? We could never worship him enough. How empty is your life of worship unto God? How many bats have you allowed to fly in life? Perhaps under the radar, you're unaware. Do you know God today? Maybe you're here and you don't know God. Your life is void of him, of worship. You're searching for him, but you haven't found him yet. You know he's out there. You know you're close, but you haven't quite made it yet. You can know God today. You can know him. That thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him, you know the verse, should not perish, but have everlasting life. You can know God today. You can confess your sins unto him, ask him to come into your life, believe on him, 
There's no special prayer that needs to be said, but you can know him today. And if you haven't done that, then your life is void of true worship of God. One more verse for you. Joshua 24, verse 14. Joshua 24, 14 says this. Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt and serve ye the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, here it is, choose you this day whom ye will serve. Whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And the people answered and said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. Do you know him today? And if you do, do you worship him? Do you worship him the way that he deserves? And as we consider these, uh, this thought for us this morning, I'd like to pray and ask the Lord to speak to those, perhaps to somebody here today or watching who is not sure who lives within them. They're not sure. They haven't really ever given their life specifically to Christ. They haven't accepted him as their Lord and Savior. You can do that this morning. And as I pray, I want you to search your hearts, ask God to search your hearts, and to see if there's maybe some bats that have flown in there that need to find their way out. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for this morning. And I do thank you so much for the word of God. I'm so thankful for even the simplicity. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. God, I'm so thankful for the commands. And Lord, you created these commands this is created for one purpose, and that's to worship you. Lord, it's, it's easy for us, especially the materialistic world that we live in, to rely, to even find ourselves clinging to and, and honoring and respecting items and things in life over you. God, may that not be said of us. Medicine is not the cure that we're looking for. You are the cure. We look to doctors and physicians more than we look to you oftentimes. God, help us to put our, our full faith and worship in you. If there's somebody listening this morning who's not saved, bring them to you. Perhaps they can contact us if they have more questions. We would love to show them more in detail from God's word, from your word, how they can know for sure. But Lord, we thank you for this reminder on worship. Help us to worship you all that we can. We pray in your name. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.